I'm going to echo some of the preachers this week. You can turn anywhere in your Bible where you want to. It's all good. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6 this morning. 2 Kings chapter 6. Amen. I'm excited for tonight. You do not want to miss tonight. Uh, these little um, <coughs> angels that will be uh, testifying and telling what the Lord did for them and telling those fun camp stories. That will all take place tonight. You don't want to miss it, um, especially you parents. Some of you ones that ha- trusted us enough to take your youngins up to the mountains. Thank you for trusting us, but we had fun with them, and the Lord had fun with them, and they had fun. You want to come and you want to hear about it. This morning uh, is an awesome one, and I am so excited. I was talking with Brother Dan last night, Brother Dan Mao. Somebody said, where's preacher at? Where's our pastor? He's traveling, um, preaching for his mission board uh, this morning. So uh, I am so excited, and so is he, at what the Lord is doing here at our church. I'm thankful that we don't have to just look at all the other churches. God's is, is blessing and God's moving in, but he's blessing and he's moving in our church, and he's moving amongst our people and in our hearts. And uh, our text this morning is from the front lines of the Lord's army. And I believe Anchor of Hope is what I would call a frontline church. We don't wait. We don't sit on the back burner. We don't wait and see if we're supposed to be doing something. We follow God's word. We follow the Great Commission. Everyone about this church is about their father's business. So if you found 2 Kings chapter number 6, stand with me in honor and reverence of the reading of God's word. We're going to be- begin reading in verse number 15. Chapter number 6, verse number 15. Amen. The Bible says, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city about, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, say these next three words with me, open his eyes. The Bible says Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, one more time, church, open his eyes. I want to preach on that thought this morning, this thought applying to you and to me. Lord, open my eyes. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. For the man Elijah, the man of God that did so many wonderful works, thank you so much for all you've done in and through your church, in and through this thy people. God, I pray that you help me to be a blessing to them this morning, that you only put me here, you only called me here to preach to your people. God, and I pray that you get me out of your way, you move me out of your way so that you may accomplish your will. Use me this morning. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Lord, open my eyes. We zoom into our text here and we find the man of God, the servants of his, and the people of God there that were with Elisha, we find them surrounded. Church, say the word surrounded. One, two, three, surrounded. We find the people of God surrounded by their enemies. We know uh, that they were fighting with the Syrian army. So first of all, I want us to notice they were surrounded by violence. They were surrounded by violence. Look up at verse number 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants saying, in such and such a place shall be my camp. In other words, the king of Syria was not playing games with Israel. They were not uh, 
giving Israel a free pass, the king of Syria, the nation of Syria, wanted Israel dead. They were not playing games. They wanted Israel's land. They wanted Israel's lives. And they wanted Israel li- Israel's livelihood. That today, the current events that we're seeing, the prophetic events that we're seeing today in our day and time affecting the nation of Israel, that this is nothing new for Israel. This is nothing new for the people of God. They have been surrounded. They have been attacked. They have been besieged time and time again. Yet Israel stands, that tiny little nation of Israel stands. You know why? Because there was some some verses in Genesis that said, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. And even back this far, the Assyrian army hated Israel, and they were surrounded, and they were willing to kill, to destroy, take their land, lives, and livelihood. They were not only surrounded by violence, but they were also surrounded by victories. By victories. You heard that right. Look at verse number 10. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him, and warned of him, and saved himself there, not yet once, nor twice. Here's what was going on. And it was getting really frustrating to the king of Assyria. Every time the king of Assyria thought they had him, every time the king of the Syrian army, the generals and the soldiers thought they had Israel, the man of God, Elisha, would hear from the Lord and Elisha would say, hey, Israel, don't go that way. They're setting up an ambush for you there. Hey, armies of Israel, don't go that way. They're setting up an ambush for you here. As a matter of fact, if you'll come around this way and you'll, you'll sneak up behind them, you'll whoop the Assyrians. And the Assyrians got sick and tired of losing. Elisha was giving the location of the Syrian troops every time the enemy thought they had them, Israel got the drop. Why? Because they had the word of the Lord speaking through the man of the Lord, speaking through God's prophet there, Elijah. And every time the Assyrians thought they had the drop on Israel, their God would do it again and save Israel out of their hands. And not only that, give them victory over the Assyrians. They were surrounded by violence Surrounded by victories. They were surrounded by victims. Syria, like I just said, had gotten tired of it. Look at verse number 11. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? You know what had happened? They had gotten so frustrated. The king of Syria literally thought there must be a spy. There's no way. There's no way they could be that in tune and know where we're going to camp. There's no way they could ever figure out this is where we're going to be and this is where we're going to attack from. One of us has to be leaking information. Does this start to sound familiar? The enemies of God had now gotten so frustrated that, <clears throat> that they could not conquer the armies of God that they started turning on each other. They started fighting amongst themselves. The Syrians, the Syrian king started looking at his mighty men and his choice servants and the ones that served him and said, which one of you is ratting us out? Which one of you is giving the Israelis all this information and giving the Hebrew children all this information? I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of getting the, uh, of God making me look like a fool. And they started fighting and fussing. And they, at the end of the day, in verse number 12, they come together and they start to figure out who they think is the real enemy. And one of his servants said, in verse number 12, None, my lord, we're not spying, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. They told the Syrian king, they said, You're looking at the wrong guys. It ain't one of us spying on you, you evil, wicked king of Syria. Boss is what they would have called him. King, master, they said... The man you're looking for, the man you're mad at, is the man of God, Elisha, because God 
tells him the words you speak in your most private place. The most private thoughts you have, the most private conversations you have, God tells them to Elisha, today the enemy Satan knows he is beat. The enemy Satan knows he is whooped. The enemy Satan, while it may look like he has the church surrounded, he knows that every time he tries to do something for evil, God has the ability to make it for good. And he starts pointing his aim and pointing his crosshairs at the people of God, at the men of God, at the preachers of God, at the servants of God, because he knows that that is what God is working in and working through. So here we have this army now, mad as all get out at Elisha. And they're pointed... And they were now not just surrounded by violence, surrounded by victory, surrounded by victims. They would be surrounded by viciousness. Look at verse 13 with me. I know there's a lot of scripture this morning. Hope we can all handle it. And one of his servants answered and said, let some... I'm reading in the wrong place. These new air conditioners. They knew I'd be preaching this morning because they put all new air conditioners up here on the platform. Amen. I'm all for them. But they blew my page on me. Verse number 13. And he said, go and spy where he is. And I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. They surrounded, infiltrated by, by the people who hated God. The church finds itself in a similar position. When we turn on our TVs or we go out into the highways and byways, when we go to our jobs, when we go, it seems like our nation, one of the last ones to do it, is now all coming together and realizing that their problem, the reason they're not able to just do whatever they want to do, the reason they're not able to come up with every truth in the book that they want to call their truth, the reason that the world's not able to just be the world and not have any influence or any accountability is because of these people called Christians, these people that follow Jehovah, these people that follow Jesus Christ. They are starting to realize now that the church is their biggest problem, that the church is the reason why the young people won't just listen to the government, that the church is the reason why the young people won't just do what the teachers tell them to do, that the church is the reason the church is all that is left is standing in the gap of them completely taking over the next generation. And they think they have the people of God surrounded. They didn't come there to talk. They didn't come there to debate. They didn't come there to have a chat. They hated God and God His people. Elisha and his servants found themselves exactly where the church find itself today. Completely surrounded by jealousy, surrounded by spite, surrounded by hate, surrounded by violence, chaos, turmoil, and temptation. But Elisha did not stand and annihilate those armies through whatever means him and God would have got together and used. We know Elisha would be used and had been used to do miraculous works. But here he has the servant Come to him. Somebody like you, somebody like me, a servant of God, a child of the king. Come to him and say, Lord, Master, Elisha, what are we going to do? Look at the news. Look at the, the situation. Look at what's going on in our schools. Elisha, what are we going to do? Look how much the people of God are surrounded. They hate us. They can't figure out why they can't beat us. They can't figure out why a thrice holy God won't let them just do whatever they want to do. Elisha, we're surrounded. And this morning, I'd like to just take a few moments and tell you what Elisha told that servant and tell you what Elisha told that man. He said, Lord, open his eyes. That's what I hope each and every one of our prayers are this morning. Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes. Number one, open my eyes to the odds. 
Open my eyes to the odds. You see, it looks like the odds are not in our favor. But oh, to the contrary. Look at the word of God with me this morning in verse number 16. And he answered and said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full. Didn't say there was a couple, couple little angels camping out up on a ridge. Nope. He said, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of what? Fire. Round about Elisha. You see, when he opened his eyes, that young servant began to realize God's angels are with us. God's angels are with us. At his command, at his voice, whose command, whose voice? God's, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. At his voice, his angels are ready to come to our aid. We could stand and tell hundreds and hundreds of stories of people that were in natural disasters, people who were in storms and uh, have eyewitness accounts that they know that it was an angel or it was some form of presence of God that saved them from a wall falling on them. We know that there are thousands and thousands of mamas that know there's no way their baby should have survived that car crash, but there was something that rushed to their aid. There was someone that was there. There was somebody that when nobody else could help, there was somebody that came and helped. When he opened his eyes, he realized that the angels are with us. That those hosts and those chariots of fire, the mountain was full of them. Even though we look down in that valley and we see the Assyrians coming and we see their reputation and we see their financial backing and we see their weapons and their, and their swords and their chariots and their horses. When he said, open his eyes, Lord, he looked and it, they weren't the ones surrounded. The Assyrians were the ones surrounded. That when he looked at the mountain, that the angels of the Lord were there with him. And not only were the angels with us, God's people are with us. Hebrews 12, one words it like this, seeing as we're compassed about so great a cloud of what? Witnesses. Let us run the race with patience, the race that is set before us. God's angels are not only with us, but God's people are with us. Every child of God that has ever bowed the knee at the foot of Calvary and said, Lord, save me, now stands united with us, one body, one spirit, one church, one local New Testament church, one church that is willing to stand. Even if they've gone on to glory, they're watching. Even if they've gone on to be with Jesus, they're praying. Even if they're spending their time in heaven, they see you. They're with you. They are ready to come to your aid when you're in need. And I'm not talking about any uh, voodoo, this, that, or the other, mediums and all that stuff. They're in heaven. They wouldn't trade one day up there for three seconds down here. Amen. They don't want to come back. They're somewhere that's greater. They're somewhere where that's more important than anything we could ever see down here. But they're with us. They're for us. They're not against us. They see what you're going through. They see what I'm going through. You are not alone. God's angels are with us. God's people are with us. Lastly, God is with us. God is with us. Elijah said, greater are they that are with us than they that be with them. But we have it better than Elijah, don't we? We have it a little bit better than Elisha had. How in the world could... We don't have however many thousands of chariots of fire. How could we have it better than Elisha? Oh, we have it better than Elisha. You see, Elisha was in a completely different dispensation than we are. He was in the dispensation of law. We are in the dispensation of grace. You see, we don't have to say, greater are they that be with us than they that are with them. John said it best in 1 John 4, 4. He said, greater is who? He 
that is in me than he that is in the world. How in the world could you think we got it better than Elisha? Because I don't have to rely on the angels. I don't have to rely on my grandmama or my grandpapa that's gone on to heaven. I don't have to rely on anything this world sees. I don't have to rely on anything my friends can see. I don't have to rely on anything they can share on Facebook or post on Twitter or share on Instagram. I don't have to rely on how many followers I have. I have Jesus. He's inside of me. He indwells me. It's so much better to know that when those Assyrians, when those things come against you, when it looks like the church is surrounded, when it looks like the church is going down, the church has Jesus. And that's all they need. That's all they need. God gave Adam and Eve a planet. They blew it. God gave Abraham a continent. They blew it. He gave Moses a law. They blew it. He gave Israel a tabernacle and a temple, and they blew it. He gave the Pharisees a Messiah, and they killed him. He has now come so close as to indwell those who let him in so that we can say, God is in me. You know why God came and died on the Calvary tree? You know why he came and dwelt and lived for 33 and a half years yet without sin? You know why he took the nails and he took the thorns? It's because he knew he could give us the whole world and we'd blow it. He knew he could give us a whole country and we'd blow it. He knew that he could give us a whole Ten Commandments and we'd blow it. He knew that you and I have faults and we have failures, but he knew that if he could come down and get inside of you and get inside of me, if we'd open our hearts and receive him and let him in, he knew this morning that if he could come in and be in you, then you could stand and say, God is in me. There is nothing that can come against me. There is nothing that can stand against me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. There's nothing we could have done, but by His grace, we are saved. Open my eyes to the odds. The odds aren't in the world's favor, church. As the news spools back up and things start to look dark and grim, as the governments of this world seem to be fussing and fighting, Jesus was sitting down on a grass hill and said, in the last days, Evil men and seducing spirits will wax worse and worse. And there will be wars. There will be rumors of wars. He knew it sitting on a hillside in the grass 2,021 years ago. Yet we stare around acting shocked, surprised, worried. He's in us. The odds are not in this world's favor. As my brother Mike Gravitt likes to say, the devil knows he's lost, but he still likes to play the game. The odds are not in his favor. We are on the winning side. Open my eyes to the odds. Secondly, open my eyes to the opposition. To the opposition this morning. Who was the opposition of Elisha here? The Syrian army. One of the most ruthless, terroristic armies that ever lived. You can trace their descendants into the modern forms of Al-Qaeda, the modern forms of ISIS, the modern forms of Hamas, the modern forms of all these terroristic groups. You can trace their beliefs and their bloodlines back to this Assyrian army. These were not nice guys. These were not pleasant people. These were people that would behead you. These were people that would make public spectacles of your body. These were scary people. But Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes to the odds and then he starts to teach here and open our eyes to the opposition. Number one, he welcomed the opposition. Look at verse number 18. And when they came down to him, 
Here they come. They're coming to take Elisha. Take him back to their king. Kill him, slay him, make a spectacle of him. What Elisha do? Don't miss this. Did he say he reached for a sword? Nope. Did it say he went and got on a horse and took off hightailing it out of there? Nope. Here's my favorite. He didn't say, hey, preacher boys, you get out there and fight him. Nope. What Elisha do? He prayed. He prayed unto the Lord and said, smite these people. Aha, he's going to get them. Nope. I pray thee with what? Blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. You know what Elisha just did? Lord, here they come. Make them dependent on you. Their eyes were shut. They could no longer see. Here they come, standing before the preacher, staggering, wandering around, can't see anything. And now the only voice that they can depend on is the very voice they came to attack. Y'all better get this with me. The only voice that they came to silence would now be the voice that they had to follow. The voice that they came to squash, that they came to arrest, would now be the voice that they had to depend on. Some of you came out of obligation this morning or invitation. Some of you came for the hundredth time or the hundred thousandth time. But this morning, it might be a good idea to realize that the reason you're in this place is not to do something religious, not to fulfill an invitation, not to fulfill an obligation but to listen for the voice that called you here to depend on the voice that called you here those Assyrians now that they can't see they don't know what's going on the next thing they hear is the voice of the man of God we're going to look at what he says this morning but the next thing they had to depend on was what the Lord would say to them look at verse number 19 Elisha said unto them this is not the way neither is is it Neither is this the city. Follow me. And I will bring you, look at this, to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. He said, Lord, close their eyes. And they're wandering, stumbling. They can no longer see. Probably still got swords drawn. Some of them falling off of their horses. Wandering around. And they say, hey, preacher said, hey, listen up. You thought you were coming to attack a church. You thought you were coming to judge a preacher. You thought you were coming to surround the people of God. But that's not who you need to see. That's not who you're looking for. Come with me. Follow me. I'm going to take you to who you need to see. This is the opposition. These are those that have been shouting all those slams. These are those who don't necessarily live the way we do, don't necessarily act the way we do. These are those on the outside that we see on the news and we say, God bless them, where are their mamas? They ought to get their rear ends tore up and praise God, they do. But we don't understand sometimes what the opposition is looking for. They're not necessarily the bad guys, they're just serving the bad guy. Is somebody starting to understand? When they came to attack Elisha, they were not <coughs> the bad guy they were serving the wrong king they had the wrong king they had the wrong person leading their lives and directing their lives and now we would see Elijah going hey 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 you are not the problem I am not the problem you thought you were coming here to look for me but come with me just a little bit farther come on that's right we're gonna go this way y'all get lined up put your hand on your buddy in front of you so you don't get lost me and my guys we're gonna take you to who you need to see the enemy was not the soldiers. 
The enemy was the devil. Today, the enemy is not the Democrats. It's not the Republicans. It's not this side or that side. It's not white people. It's not black people. It's not young people. It's not old people. The enemy is and always has been and always will be that devil. He's a liar. He's a fraud. He's the author of confusion. He's the one manipulating. And Elijah had enough sense to say, open my eyes to see. Open his eyes to see. It's not them. It's him. It's the devil. Boys, I know you came looking for a preacher. I know you came looking to attack the people of God, but come on. Keep following me. Some of you in here this morning, you're realizing you're one of those people. You came in here to look down your pharisaical nose and see what these young people would do. You came in here to see what this church thing's all about, but here you find the voice of God speaking to your individual heart saying, come on, come on. A little bit further. See, you thought you walked up in here to go to a church or to fulfill an obligation, but it was the Lord that brought you to a place and He's now beginning to lead you along. Open my eyes to the opposition. Lastly, open my eyes to the options. Open my eyes to the options. And it came to pass in verse number 20, when they were coming to Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria, and the king of Israel. They opened their eyes. Elisha said, I need to show you who you're supposed to be here for. Y'all still ain't getting this. I need to see you who you really need to see. I need to show you who you're really mad at. I need to show you who you really got a problem with. You think you had a problem with the preacher. You think you had a problem with the church. Some of you have been church hurt. Some of you have got that. You think you've got a problem with religion. You think you've got a problem with sin. You think you've got a problem with the devil. No, no, no. Let me show you who you got a problem with. And he said, Lord, open their eyes. And they opened their eyes and there was... The king. The king. You and I, when we were lost, undone, without Christ, we didn't have a problem with anybody but the king. Our problem was our sin. Our problem was our selfishness. Our problem was our pride. Nobody in here that doesn't like me, they don't have a problem with me. They have a problem with the king. Any Christian in here that hates their brother doesn't have a problem with their brother. They have a problem with the king. Any young person in here that's mad at their parents, you ain't got a problem with your parents. You got a problem with the king. If somebody's in here and you're a parent and you're tired of your kids, you ain't got a problem with your kids. You have a problem with the king. If you're a wife in here and you're mad at your husband, you ain't got a problem with your husband. You've got a problem with the king. If you're a husband in here and you are mad at your wife, you ain't got a problem with your wife. You've got a problem with the king. Elisha knew and he was showing his servant and he's showing us today that a lot of us what we need to do is open our eyes and realize that all the problems we have in this world, all the anger we have pent up in this world, all the pride we have pent up with this world would go away if we would just admit and acknowledge we had a problem with the king. With our savior. It's alright. It's going to get quiet. My watch fell off. It's going to stay over there. Sorry guys. Going crowd's not going anywhere. We're all right. They had a problem with the king. And Elisha has now brought them in to where now they realize they're surrounded. And there's some options on the table this morning. Number one, the king had options. Look what he says in verse 21. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? 
Shall I smite them? The king has options this morning. If you and I got what we deserved, we'd be in hell already. If you and I this morning got what we deserved, we are sinners by birth and by choice. Each and every day we fail, we, we falter, we mess up. We are not perfect. God is. We choose our sin every day. If we got what we deserve, the king has an option to smite us at any given time. That's one of his options. Should I kill them? In Genesis 3, God the Father had this option when Adam and Eve messed up. And they obeyed the word of Satan over the word of God. God had an option. Do I just scrub this thing, condemn this, and start over? Or do I set in motion a redeeming work that will come through this very seed of Mary? A lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Do I start a redeeming work of Calvary starting here in the garden? What the devil tried to mess up, what the devil meant for evil, what the devil tried to ruin, I'm going to start a redeeming work. You know what option God chose? He start the redeeming work of Calvary right there in the Garden of Eden when man failed, when you and I had failed, when we chose the words of Satan over the words of God. God there, the king chose the option to set in motion the message and the, <coughs> and the mind of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's why there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. That's why it has to be Jesus because that's the King's way. That's the Creator's way. That's the way that was set in motion. That was the option that was chosen. The King had options. Jesus walked for 33 and a half years on this earth. And you know, every single morning when Jesus woke up, every single morning when Jesus got out of His little tent or got out of His little campsite, every single day He chose Calvary. Every single day He chose the nails. Every single day He chose that crown of thorns. He could have at any moment went back up to heaven, ascended back up to the Father and been done and said, you know what, Father? They've proved to me again they don't want me. They've proved to me again they're just running. They're just playing. They don't care. They don't care where they spend eternity. But every single day, Jesus had options, but He chose Calvary for you and for me. Jesus had options. For 2,021 years now, the Holy Spirit had options. The Holy Spirit had options. Some of you, this morning, He's already tugging. He's already putting His finger on some things. That you, before a holy king, a holy God, the righteous one, you know you're not right. He put His hand on some things in my life this week that I knew I didn't have right. But the Holy Spirit chooses you every day. As many times as we shoo Him away, as many times as we try to close our ears, as many times as we try to run and hide and, and duck and dodge what the Holy Spirit's convicting in our hearts, He still chooses you every day. He still talks to you every day. He walks with me. He talks with me a long life's way. You know why? He chooses to. We don't make God do anything. So the king had some options. And he chose you every time. He chose you every time. Look what happened in our text. 22, and he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite them with who was taken captive with a sword and a bow? Look what he says. Set bread and water before them so that they may eat. Prepares the table in the presence of mine enemies. He says, don't kill them, king. Feed them. Feed them. 
If you walked in, in here on the wrong side this morning, if you walked in here serving the wrong king this morning, it is not God's desire to smite you. It is not God's desire to ax you. It is not God's desire to kill you, to condemn you, for you're condemned already. You are yet in your sins. It is His desire to forgive you, to feed you, to set a table before you, to bless you, to save you, to comfort you, to love you. Some of you, I don't know what love is. I ain't never felt real love. You've never met Jesus. You've never met him. I'll close with this. As Miss Joy's coming. The king had options. And the lost had options. Right there. You, your eyes are open. And you're standing before the king. And you're starting to look around. You're starting to weigh your options. Some of you in here said, this was a setup. This was a setup. My kid brought me in here. My wife brought me in here. My, this was a setup. Now I'm standing here and I've got some options. They had some options. They could run. They could run. Right there in the middle of Samaria when they open their eyes and they realize they're in the enemy's camp. That they could run. But good luck. God has you surrounded this morning. Once you've heard the message of the gospel that Jesus died for you, rose again, and wants to forgive you of your sins, there's no running from it. God has you surrounded. They could hide. They could hide. Good luck. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. I'll just hide it. I'll just hide it. My wife doesn't know. My daddy doesn't know. My kids doesn't know. Nobody knows. I'll just hide. I'll just play it safe. God knows this morning. His eyes are in every place. He knows who you are. They could fight. They could fight. This is always my response when God's dealing with me. I want to fight. Good luck. One day every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to fess. There is not going to be a time where you win this fight with God. You may survive it long enough. You may run long enough. You may hide long enough. But there's going to come a day where you lose and God wins. Wouldn't you rather just go ahead and be on his side this morning? Wouldn't you rather just go ahead and just come to an altar as she begins to play? Just as I am without one plea. Wouldn't you just rather go ahead and get it right? Standing all over the house, heads bowed, eyes closed.